Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Farzine Vasugi, and this is the Chief Stone Podcast. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening. Hope you guys had a happy Easter. Hope you guys had a great weekend. A lot to get into. This is the final episode of the podcast before the 2019 NFL Draft. So obviously, going to do our predictions here on this episode. Going to predict who the Chiefs are going to take 29th, and then with their two second-round picks, 61st and 63rd, uh, their top three picks in the draft. Also, alternative picks in case the guys who I'm projecting to go in those three picks, I'll pick a backup player for each of those three picks that we'll be discussing on this episode. Also, Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio had a very interesting article on Tyreek Hill and the fact that he could be facing a suspension already right now. I speculated on this last episode. Could Roger Goodell come down with a suspension at this point in the investigation? That's a possibility, uh, considering what we've seen before with Ezekiel Elliott and even other players before. Tom Brady, another good example. Uh, but there, there, there may be some validation as to why Tyreek Hill could face some sort of a suspension, and I'll explain why later on. Also, uh, something I wanted to touch on here because this got a lot of attention uh, in Kansas City over the weekend. Uh, Kevin Keatsman of Sports Radio 810 put out a very uh, disturbing tweet uh, with no awareness. I, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. Uh, and not only that, uh, some bozo on the Facebook page had uh, something to say to me about that tweet, actually accusing me of saying that, which is funny enough. Uh, I took big offense to that, and I'll tell you why at the end of the podcast. So a lot to get into here on this episode. We'll do our closing segments as well. A lot to get into. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. We're out there on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and hit the share button as well. Spread the word for the Chiefs Zone Podcast. And I appreciate all of you guys who have been doing so. All right, as I promised, a lot to get into here on this episode. Let's start with Tyreek Hill for a moment. We touched on this before the weekend. We had the update with Matt Miller. And by the way, so many uh, guests who have been on this podcast over the past month and a half. So I appreciate all of the guests who have been coming on the podcast, so many great guests we've had, uh, and I appreciate all of you guys who have uh, been listening to those episodes. If you haven't, hey, they're archived. Go check them out. Uh, never too late to go back and listen to those guest interviews that we've had here on the podcast. But uh, we touched on this with the whole Tyree Kill situation. The uh, biggest news that came out, the big update, was that Tyree Kill and his fiance Crystal Espinal, uh, they have lost custody of their three-year-old son, uh, and it, it, to clarify, it is temporarily, it's not permanent, uh, at least not right now, uh, that could change, not exactly sure when. Now, uh, this, this does make things a little interesting, because I talked about, would Roger Goodell suspend Tyree Kill right now, if he had to make a choice, and I thought, hey, I would not be shocked, well, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk put out a very interesting article that talked about the fact that Tyreek Hill might actually, and people may not like the ruling on this, but per the NFL's rule, uh, Tyreek Hill could face a suspension. Uh, He said that, uh, Florio said that Tyreek Hill might, or he questioned that Tyreek Hill could face a personal conduct 
policy suspension. That's what the suspension would be. Uh, And you wrote this in the article. The NFL's personal conduct policy includes this, quote, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and the well-being of another person, end quote. Now, here's a problem with that. Yes, obviously, this three-year-old boy, and obviously a very scary situation for him, still kind of unsure what's going on. Not Obviously, he's not aware of the fact that his parents lost custody of him. He, he's probably questioning a lot of things right now, and that's, I mean, that's that's crazy for a three-year-old to have to go through. Uh, but like I said last episode, during our interview with uh, Matt Derrick, uh, business does have to go on. Uh, the Chiefs have a, a draft coming up. Do they need to change their game plan a little bit going into this weekend, or this Thursday, rather? Uh, and what do they do with Tyreek Hill and his contract? A lot of speculation that he was about to get a, quote, record-setting deal, and now that's been on hold right now, so we're not exactly sure what happens. Here's the issue, though. Yes, Tyreek Hill's three-year-old son, uh, and I mean, he's not with his parents right now. Tyreek Hill and his fiance uh, have lost custody of this three-year-old. However, we don't know what Tyreek Hill did, nor his fiance. Why did they feel that they had to take him away, take the three-year-old away from Tyreek Hill and his fiance. There's no charge. There's no arrest right now. And even so, there's a chance that Tyreek Hill, there may not be clear evidence right now, but the NFL, if they wanted to, and and I'm not sure how many games it would be, that part is unclear to me, the NFL could say that Tyreek Hill has violated the personal conduct policy. And again, because... He's been, because Tyreek Hill has lost custody, temporarily has lost custody of his three-year-old son, that that personal conduct uh, policy violation has now come into play. At least that's what Mike Florio is speculating. Now, I'd like to think the NFL has, in their own investigation, and again, knowing what happened with the Kareem Hunt investigation, I don't know how much I trust the NFL in this, but hopefully the NFL, and again, we touch on this with Matt and people in the media know this, and I think some fans do and some fans don't. There are a lot of former police officers uh, and former FBI agents that are with the NFL's security department to help them out with these kinds of cases. Remember, the NFL told Clark Hunt and the Chiefs to let them handle the Kareem Hunt incidents. Obviously, they did a poor job of that. TMZ was leaps and bounds ahead of the NFL with the Kareem Hunt incident. And that's just, by the way, to be clear, the Kareem Hunt incident is just one of many examples I could bring up. Obviously, it's the more easier example because it's fairly recent and it happened in Kansas City. But my point here is, what is the NFL doing to try to reach the conclusion of of, of this Tyreek Hill investigation? Because nobody has any public knowledge as to why Tyreek Hill lost custody of his of his son. And if you watched KCTV5, Tyreek Hill and his fiance are, are walking hand in hand to the courtroom. And I mean, look, I don't know what to make of that. There are a lot of people that were speculating that, you know, their engagement ended because they unfollowed each other and took down pictures of each other on social media. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of people speculated that she might be the guilty party member in all of this. And the reason people came to that conclusion is because 
uh, Tyree Kill's name was in the first police report, but that case was closed. And in the second police report, Tyree Kill, I believe some people mentioned he, he had posted on social media he wasn't even home the date the second uh, incident was reported. And therefore, obviously, his name was not on that report. It was just Crystal Espinal's name and that she had done something. Now, listen, we could go in circles on and on and on here, but the fact of the of the matter is, other than w- what happened last week with uh, Tyreek Hill losing custody of uh, temporarily, again, I, I need to make clear, temporarily lost custody of his three-year-old son, as did his fiance. we don't know why. That is, that's a pretty big part of the story here. Why did this have to happen? Uh... What was the reason for this? And if there is a reason provided, perhaps then the NFL could have a valid reason to enforce that personal conduct policy suspension. I know that it's a lot of speculation right now, but that's all we really have to go off of. And Florio mentioned, look, where we are right now is not good. In fact, it's very bad. And could it get worse from here? Is there any way that Maybe there's a better ending to this story. I don't know. Folks, when multiple incidents, I'm talking multiple incidents, have taken place, when the police are at your house, when police reports are written, that is just never a good place to be in right now. This is a guy who had a big second chance, given what he did. Not just a second chance to play professional football, a second chance from his girlfriend. And again, those are personal matters we don't need to get into, but... Given his profession, it it probably helped that he got a second chance in in the NFL and maybe even in his personal life. I I don't know. Look, a lot of people like to torch Bob Fesco of 6'10 for his criticism of Tyreek Hill when he got drafted. But let's not act like we didn't feel that way too. I mean, I, I had some negative feelings about the draft pick and about Tyreek Hill and Look, given what's happened over time, Andy Reid talked about how he has done a good job and he has listened to Kansas City's uh, advice since he was drafted by the team. The team has told him that he needs to do certain things in order to stay on the team. He's done that. Andy Reid made that clear his rookie year in 2016. And here we are, uh, at least up until early February, we had not heard anything about Tyreek Hill. Not a single thing. And... Because of his gameplay during his rookie year, uh, he became a fan favorite in Kansas City. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, what what's going to happen from this point forward. But it's uh, it's not looking good. By the way, uh, I, I mentioned this on social media. Also, be very wise and very careful with what you say about reporters that are reporting on the story. Reporters are not meant to be cheerleaders. They're not meant to just report positive things about the city and about the sports teams. No, when there's a story out there, they've got to report it. They've got to report it accurately. And people don't seem to like that. This incident came up with the whole Kareem Hunt deal. And I thought this is just uncalled for this. I mean, this is dumb. I, I mean, I get there is this universally wide question about journalism today, but as far as how this team is being covered when it comes to incidents off the field, there is nothing wrong from the media's doing. I think the only thing I would question is what happened with Brooke Pryor and how she got her source about the broken arm, but it seems like she had a valid source for that story, uh, given what we're seeing right now. Again, I'm not I'm not putting a final answer and saying, yep, that's exactly what happened, but it seems like maybe she had a valid source who knew 
a lot about the situation. That's all I'm saying. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine. If you see again, Twitter.com slash Farzine21. All right, I want to go over to the NFL draft now, and more specifically, Kansas City side of things. They are picking 29th in the first round, and in the second round, picking 61st and 63rd. So here is my mock draft. And by the way, I'm going to read some of your guys' comments. I asked you guys on the Facebook page to comment below on who you think the Chiefs will draft, and as promised, I'll get to some of your guys' comments in a moment. But let me go over my three projections here, and also my three backups. For the 29th pick, I've got Kansas City going after sophomore uh, cornerback, Greedy Williams out of LSU, 6'2", 185 pounds, great cover corner, uh, but he could drop in the first round due to poor tackling. So in one way, maybe you could look at this as a guy who was very, very similar to Marcus Peters in what we've seen in his career so far. Very good cover cornerback. I know last year he struggled for a majority of the year, but he really improved as the season went on and had a really good postseason. In fact, he had a really good Super Bowl against the Patriots and a big reason why Tom Brady and that Patriots offense was not they were not able to operate the way that they had always been able to with their offense for years. So Marcus Peters had a hand in that in the Super Bowl. Uh, but Greedy Williams is a guy uh, kind of like Peters for most of his career. Great cover corner, but not the greatest tackler in the NFL. Uh, you, you know, in a perfect world, you'd love to have a guy that has the Marcus Peters type of coverage and the tackling abilities of Brandon Flowers. That would make for a perfect cornerback in the NFL. But unfortunately, Kansas City hasn't really had a lot of luck with that. Kendall Fuller, uh, maybe a guy who goes back to a slot position with Bashad Breland Coming to Kansas City, again, keep in mind, this is a guy who the Chiefs wanted last year. Bashad Breeland could maybe be the starter on this football team, the number one quarterback, and you get a rookie like Greedy Williams out of LSU and put him out there. He had two interceptions last year as a sophomore, and as a freshman, slightly better year, had six picks that year, including an interception and the four-point loss uh, to Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl his two interceptions last year, by the way, came earlier in the year in weeks two and three. After that, did not record an interception the rest of the year. My backup pick uh, for the 29th overall selection. How about this one? Uh, I saw SB Nation uh, put this in their mock draft, and I'll get to that shortly. Iowa State wide receiver Hakeem Butler uh, Jr., who tied eighth in the nation in receiving yards with 1,318 yards off 60 grabs if you go look at the top 10 college football players in receiving yards Hakeem Butler is on there obviously as I mentioned but his 60 grabs that is the fewest among players in the top 10 in receiving yards the next closest is Jerry Judy from Alabama who was 10th in receiving yards and he had 68 catches six catches more than Hakeem Butler so Hakeem Butler had uh, he averaged I believe it was 22 yards per catch if I'm not mistaken. So pretty good average for him. And I believe that was the highest in the top 10. Now, as I mentioned, SB Nation in their recent mock draft had him coming to Kansas City 29th overall. Walter Football, I was looking at Walter Football's mock draft, and Walter Football has Hakeem Butler being taken 62nd overall in between Kansas City's two second round picks, uh, which is 61st and 63rd, obviously. Uh, but Walter Football has... Hakeem Butler going 62nd overall to the Saints. Listen, people say that the NCAA tournament is a crapshoot when it comes to trying to predict games. I think that's a more accurate statement for 
the NFL draft as well when you're trying to do a mock draft. Because we we see a lot of guys that get projected that are projected to go in the first round. They don't go in, and I'm talking like at least in the top half of the first round. They end up going in the second, third round, sometimes even the fourth round. And there are even times where we see a player who was hardly talked about in some of the draft coverage leading up to the draft in years past. A guy projected to be taken second or third overall, he ends up going first in the first round. And by the way, I said second or third overall. I meant second or third round, not overall. I, excuse me there, but uh, this is uh, we we see this sometimes. Guys that are projected to go maybe a little bit later outside the first round, but they end up being taken in the first round. Sometimes the top ten. Uh, we see these kinds of surprises a lot. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe the guys who I am predicting that the Chiefs take in the second round end up being top ten guys. Maybe there is a team out there that really, really values somebody, and then they find out that there's one other team out there, there's another GM out there that highly values that same player, and they say, look, we can't take any risks. We're taking this guy ninth overall just because. It's We don't know exactly what goes on in these war rooms, as a lot of people like to call them, because... There's a lot of strategy, and you're trying to find out what's going on. Who you're, you're, you're talking to other teams when it comes to trade negotiations for certain picks. Oh, oh, wait, this person offered you this? Why is that? Oh, maybe it's because they want this player, so they'd have to pull the trigger before that team. Why do you think the Chiefs traded up to 10th overall for Patrick Mahomes? Probably because they found out that another team was aggressively trying to trade up to get Patrick Mahomes. They were unable to do so. Kansas City had a better offer on the table for Buffalo, and that's what allowed them to go up. Keep in mind, Mahomes was projected to go a little later in the first round, but maybe there was one other team out there that knew something that most teams didn't. And the Chiefs, they also knew things about Mahomes that a lot of teams didn't seem to know. And sure enough, I mean, look at Kansas City. They came away with the guy who was... Didn't play his rookie year, with the exception of one game, and then second year wins league MVP. There's no other player better than Mahomes from that draft class right now. So, my point here is, we never know exactly what's going on and why certain selections are made, but be mindful of the fact that maybe we don't see it this way, and maybe the team is going to be wrong, maybe they're going to prove us uh, prove us wrong, but... Maybe they find out that someone else is really interested in this player and they absolutely do not want to miss out on this player in specific. So they've got to make the move before Team B comes in between them. Keep that in mind. And I think that's what Hakeem Butler could be one of those players that could be projected to go in so many different areas in the draft. Maybe first, second, maybe even right after the second, taken early in the third. You never know sometimes with certain players... And uh, obviously these teams that are making these selections, obviously their opinions are the ones that matter the most because they're actually the ones making these selections. They're the ones that are working up close more often uh, with these players than the media. Uh, I mean, the, the, the private workouts, the interviews, pro days, all of that. Uh, and also talking to their coaches too from college, head coaches and assistant coaches, getting uh, their input on those players as well so obviously their opinion means a lot more and again doesn't mean that they are all going to be correct sometimes they get a player and they completely miss out Kansas City's had that with John Baldwin they've had that with uh 
boy, I, I mean, I'm trying to think uh, as far as first round draft picks go. Uh, Glenn Dorsey, obviously a big one. Uh, everyone was excited for that. Ryan Sims was a big one. Uh, you got the idea. I, I mean, sometimes you miss, sometimes you hit a home run with these picks. But my backup pick, Hakeem Butler, to Kansas City in that first uh, uh, pick for the Chiefs, 29th overall. Now, as for the two picks late in the second round, 61st overall, uh, I've got the Chiefs going for a running back here. I I still think Damian Williams is going to be their guy, but I think they've got to have somebody else out there too that can help split the load with Damian Williams. You're going to have Damian Williams, you're going to have... Daryl Williams, and I think the Chiefs are also going to go after Texas A&M running back Travion Williams. So a lot of Williams in the backfield for Kansas City. Uh, Junior out of Texas A&M, as I mentioned, 5'8", 206 pounds. He had a 4.5140 time in the combine. He was third in the nation. We talked about this player before. Third in the nation in rushing yards last year and had 18 touchdowns, and that put him uh, fifth tied with another player. So he was in the top five in rushing yards and top five in rushing touchdowns. And I think that is a big staple for Andy Reed's offense. It, it, I mean, he's perfect for an Andy Reed offense. Doesn't have the greatest size, but Andy Reed's never shied away from that. Uh, the reason he is not expected to go in the first round, you, you may hear his stats and wonder why would he fall 61st overall. In fact, I think on NFL.com's combine page, he's projected to go in the third round. That's what they have him listed as. But a lot of mock drafts have him going maybe a little bit before that. But I think uh, I think Travion Williams, uh, you know, despite being undersized, this is still a guy who could do a lot of damage under Andy Reid's offense. If he goes to a different football team, I don't know if he would be able to do that. And I know I say this a lot with football players coming to Kansas City, uh, especially on offense, and how they contri- how they could contribute better in Kansas City because of Andy Reid. But I, I, we've seen Andy Reid be able to bring out the best in players. Even Jamal Charles, when he had a lot of great years, Andy Reid made him greater, and we didn't even know that was possible to do with Jamal Charles. Alex Smith, all of his years in San Francisco, he, Andy Reid found a way to make him even better in Kansas City. Alex Smith gradually got better in San Francisco, but... Even better in Kansas City. Number The numbers he put in as a Chief, far better than what he had as a 49er. So Andy Reid just has that ability to do that. And I think with a guy like Travion Williams, that would be big for Kansas City. Now, uh, I don't have a projection for this one here, like a backup projection. Uh, I didn't write one for this pick. But I did want to put a reference instead because I know a lot of Chiefs fans want... Iowa State running back, David Montgomery. Listen, I think David Montgomery is going to be a really good running back. If I had to pick between Williams and Montgomery, I would have to actually go with Montgomery. But I would be shocked if he's available by the time the Chiefs pick, not in the 61st selection, I'm talking the 29th pick. If he is available 29th, then maybe Kansas City might need to make that move. Montgomery, by the way, he had 1,216 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns, uh, putting him outside the top 10. In fact, he's actually outside the top 20. He's 22nd in rushing yards, too. So, again, not that it has the greatest impact. Uh, I mean, look, stats are a big part of it, but your size, the offense you played at, uh, the, the, the system, uh, your quality of opponents... Those are big as well, and obviously your 
off-season activity, the combine interviews, pro days, private workouts, all that stuff comes into play as well. Uh, So I know a lot of Chiefs fans want David Montgomery, but I don't think uh, that's a possibility. If you want a running back, I think it'd be more wise to go after someone in the second round because the Chiefs are high on Damian Williams and let a guy like Trayvon Williams come in and compliment him. And Daryl Williams could be the guy that comes in for a couple snaps each game. 63rd overall pick, the last one we're going to go over here, Kansas State's versatile offensive lineman, Dalton Rinsar. I really like this guy, and some think he'll be taken in day three, like early in day three, but his activity in the combine and all these other things that take place, uh, it has really helped his case to possibly go in the second day of the draft, and look, I'll even say this, maybe there's a potential surprise he gets taken in the first round on the first day of the draft, uh, maybe late in that draft. Uh, But I think this is someone, uh, given his versatility, it'd be really nice to see him in Kansas City. They could move him in different directions, try him in different spots, and maybe you already know what you're going to do with him, kind of how the Chiefs knew that they were going to convert Mitch Morse, a former Mizzou uh, tackle, to a center in Kansas City. And obviously he went to Buffalo with that big deal, Uh, but that uh, obviously left the void on Kansas City's offensive line. And they need to fill that void. They talked about how... Dalton Rinser, he struggled with edge rushers, but improved on that as the year went along. But I think he'd be better fit as an interior offensive lineman. And if he's not available by the time the Chiefs are picking 63rd, here's another guy, Connor McGovern, a guard and a center from Penn State. Another good interior offensive lineman that Kansas City could use for their offensive line to help out Patrick Mahomes in 2019 and hopefully many years beyond that. So those are my picks. Uh, I have Greedy Williams, 29th overall. Travion Williams. Uh, Chiefs are going to have a lot of players with Williams if they uh, follow this board. Uh, um, uh, uh, Running back Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. And then Kansas State's offensive lineman Dalton Rinser. Uh, But again, maybe there's a chance they could go with Connor McGovern instead. I kind of went the Matt Miller route. We talked about this earlier in the offseason when we looked at his mock draft. He had a defensive player in the first pick and then two offensive players in the second uh, in the second rounds. A lot of people are wondering if this is going to be another defensive-heavy draft like last year where it was all defense except for Khalil McKenzie who converted to a guard. Here's my thing with that. I would have agreed with that earlier, but the Chiefs had a really good offseason with free agency and with trades. They got Emmanuel Ugba. They got Alex Okafor. Those are two good edge rushers. They're not great. They don't compare to D Ford or Justin Houston, but these are guys that are starting quality edge rushers, in my opinion. These are defensive ends that you acquired for a reason, and these are guys who I think that can contribute in a big manner for Kansas City in 2019. And I think because of that, I think Kansas City should go in a different direction. Maybe go middle linebacker, my my pick, cornerback, uh, maybe a safety if they feel like there's someone that pops up uh, with that 29th pick. But uh, I, I don't think the Chiefs are going to go after an edge rusher. I know a lot of people are wanting another edge rusher, but you drafted two guys in the second round recently in Passigno and Speaks, and you got Ogba uh, and Okafor. So I think it's time Kansas City goes into a different direction with that 29th pick. I will say this with the 29th pick. Given the news about Tyree Kill. And even. I mean there was a rumor that the Chiefs were. Were considering trading him. And. Apparently this was before. Uh, all of the. 
reports that came out about the incidents in, in the investigation, but the narrative has changed. A lot of people were saying it's got to be defense, 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 defense with the 29th pick. And now we're starting to see a lot of Chiefs fans entertain the idea of potentially a wide receiver or a running back or even an offensive lineman be taken with the 29th pick. Crazy how fast things change like that, but a lot of Chiefs fans are pretty open to that idea. I think there are some Chiefs fans that are saying, nope, it's got to be defense, absolutely. Uh, And there are some Chiefs fans that are saying, hey, look, let's keep an open mind going into the draft. Let's see who is available 29th. Is there a guy that could really help Mahomes in this offense keep up their dynamic speed or... Should we really go after someone on the defensive side? Uh, this is going to be a very inter- interesting draft. When you're picking 29th, assuming the Chiefs don't trade up, uh, there is, I mean, there is that possibility that you're going to change your mind as the draft goes on because there are 28 other selections happening before yours. I know for the longest time we were so used to seeing the Chiefs in the top five uh, for a couple of years, and we already had a pretty good understanding of who Kansas City was going to take. A lot of people knew about Tyson Jackson uh, leading up to the draft. A lot of people knew about Glenn Dorsey. A lot of people knew about Eric Berry because there were not a lot of teams ahead of you at that point to pick. Now you've got 28 teams. And, and, I mean, this is now becoming a more common thing since Andy Reid's come here, and that's a great thing, obviously. Uh, and like I said, with the Chris Jones and Tyree Kill draft picks, uh, and I understand Tyree Kill had that incident, but uh, there are there have been times where the Chiefs have came away with a lot of great players outside the first round. The Chiefs have a great history of, of third round picks. Jamal Charles, Travis Kelsey, Justin Houston, Kareem Hunt. So you get the idea. Uh, picking 29th is not the end-all be-all when it comes to finding a Pro Bowl caliber type of football player. Now, as I promised, I'd read some of your guys' comments from the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Vesugian. Matt commented and said he wanted to see Washington cornerback Byron Murphy or Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker. So we obviously know the direction Matt wants to go in there uh, with that position at least. Chase said Greedy Williams, as I did, or Rocky Asin, the cornerback from Temple. Trey wrote North Carolina State center Garrett Bradbury, the uh, center if he falls, otherwise... Otherwise, he wrote, pick the top defensive back available at 29. And Jason didn't give a name, but he said, wide receiver, we may need one soon, just saying. And let me just say one other thing, and I'm not saying Jason's wrong. Yeah, sure, there's a reason to maybe speculate that the Chiefs could pick a wide receiver, given what's going on with Tyreek Hill right now. And let's not forget about Sammy Watkins and his injury activities. Uh, hasn't had the healthiest career, but when he is out there, he's been great. But you want you want some consistency, too. The thing is, Patrick Mahomes, I think, can make any receiver look good. And I, I think we've got to keep in mind, Demarcus Robinson, I've been saying this for a long time, he's a guy I, who I think can make a lot of big plays if he's ever given the opportunity to start a few games in the NFL. Especially with Patrick Mahomes there. They did some good things together in the preseason during Mahomes' rookie year. We saw Demarcus Robinson do a little bit more this year in the regular season. Uh, look, who's to say that Demarcus Robinson, given that Chris Conley's moved on, maybe Demarcus Robinson sees more playing time. And let's not forget Albert Wilson, of course, moved on last year too. So Demarcus Robinson's moving up in the depth chart year by year. And I think he's a guy that could make some plays. My point is, I don't know if we have to feel so desperate about getting a receiver. Let's say, let's say worst case scenario, scenario with Tyreek Hill. Let's say he has 
released. Kind of like the Kareem Hunt situation. Again, worst case scenario. Hopefully not, but let's just say it happens. I think Patrick Mahomes can still go out there and do some things for this football team without a guy like Tyreek Hill. I think it helped in his first year that he had a Pro Bowl wide receiver and a Pro Bowl tight end. And God knows that any running back just seems to succeed under Andy Reid's offense. But at the end of the day, you want a quarterback that can make everybody around him better. That's why Tom Brady's been so successful wherever he goes. Peyton Manning, he made a lot of players around him successful. Look at a a tight end like Julius Thomas. When Peyton Manning left, Julius Thomas was not the same dominant tight end. And look, I mean, we'll never know this with Gronkowski, but I I was kind of curious to see if Gronkowski would ever play for the Patriots without Tom Brady. I mean, there are so many players out there that Tom Brady made so great. Uh, Players who were mediocre before their time in New England, when when they came to New England, uh, their numbers went up. Uh, They they saw a lot more face time on the field. Uh, There was more recognition for those players. That's what Mahomes is. He is that type of football player that can make players around him better. Chris Conley had a better year in 2018. We saw Demarcus Robinson, as I said, do a little bit more this year. And let's see if Patrick Mahomes can do some things to make him better. And, And don't get me wrong, these guys have got to help Mahomes as well. An offensive line has got to help out the quarterback. Uh, the running backs have got to do their thing. The receivers have to be at the right place at the right time to be able to help the quarterback out as well. It's a two-way street with these kinds of things, but more times than not, it's the quarterback that is, and again, it's obviously the more it's, it's the most prominent position on the field, but uh, it's always the quarterback that's being viewed as trying to make everybody else around him better. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzingvisugi and Twitter.com slash Farzing2. And let me know your thoughts on my mock draft, my Chiefs mock draft for the first three picks. And if you guys agree, disagree, uh, and I appreciate all of you guys, by the way, who did contribute to the conversation on Facebook. And like I said, I I always like to read some of you guys' comments, and we do this occasionally uh, where there is a big subject, and I want to know your thoughts, and I'll promise to read your guys' comments on the podcast. And obviously this is one of those times, given that it's the draft coming up. A uh, real quick look for uh, the Chiefs and the number of picks they have. They have the first round pick, the three second round picks, and then they've got a third round pick. No fourth rounder. They've got a fifth rounder, two sixes, and a seven. So the Chiefs have eight draft picks going into the 2019 draft. Uh, as I mentioned, the 29th pick, 61st, 63rd. That one is from the Rams and the Marcus Peters trade. Round three, they're picking 92nd. Round four, no draft pick. The Chiefs traded that away for Reggie Ragland in August of 2017. As for the sixth round picks, uh, the 201st pick is Kansas City's. The 214th pick, that's a compensatory pick due to the loss of free agents of Zach Fulton, Benny Logan, Terrence Mitchell, Kevin Pierre-Lewis. And Albert Wilson. And uh, as for the seventh, this is actually a very funky one. So Rod Streeter, uh, who was briefly with the Chiefs during the offseason, he was traded to the 49ers in 2016. And Kansas City had the option as part of that deal to swap seventh round picks. The Chiefs have decided to execute that move right there. And for some crazy reason, just the way this all works out, the 49ers... I have to chuckle about this too. The 49ers traded that pick to the Browns who traded that pick to the Patriots as part of the Josh Gordon deal. So essentially Rod Streeter got traded for Josh Gordon. Not that, just it, it just didn't happen directly. And obviously there were some other draft picks involved, but 
Essentially, Rod Streeter and Josh Gordon were traded for each other. Uh, Rod Streeter, however, went to the 49ers. And Gordon went to the Patriots. And neither of those guys are with their teams that they got traded to. Rod Streeter is a free agent. And Josh Gordon, he's actually still a Patriot. But I guess he's just not playing football because he's got so many other things to really worry about for right now. A lot we talked about here. Again, let me know your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. And again, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and share the links. Let's wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. In a really interesting move, John Gruden has set home all of his scouts. uh, Basically set them home. And they were no longer asked to do anything up until the NFL draft. I'm not exactly sure what kind of a move this is because the seven days leading up to the draft, seven days before the draft, there's a lot of collaboration going on with the head coach, the general manager, the assistant, I mean, all the other front office members, the the, the, the scouts, the assistant coaches, and John Gruden just basically said, go home scouts, I'll take care of this part of the job. You know, this is a team that had a very, very disappointing 2018 season, and it all started off with the whole Khalil Mack drama and just how crazy that ended up being for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I don't know if this is the wisest move, uh, but again, uh, John Gruden, he has a Super Bowl for a reason, uh, but that doesn't mean that every move he makes is the right one, too. Uh, Just keep that in mind. So, uh, man, I don't know how I how I would feel about this if I was a Raiders fan. Thank goodness I'm not. But uh, boy, uh, just to send your scouts home. I mean, these are the guys that do a lot of the legwork. I know a lot of times in sports we hear about the head coach and the GM and the moves that they make, but there are a lot of people behind them that do the dirty work, and they don't get a lot of the credit for it. It's the head coach or the GM that gets the credit for these kinds of things. So for John Gruden to do that, pretty interesting. Uh, More draft talk. Donovan McNabb, former Eagles quarterback, he said that the Eagles should draft another quarterback. And you know what? I think he has a valid point here. Let's be honest. Your Super Bowl MVP, who was not really your primary quarterback, has moved on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And as far as the Eagles' current situation, they've got a... Very questionable quarterback right now in Carson Wentz. When he is playing, he's he's awesome. He's great. He's an MVP type of quarterback. But you can't really be an MVP if you're not available. That, that That's a big reason why the Chiefs let go of Eric Berry. I mean, yeah, he's great, but the guy's been hardly available for the Chiefs the past two seasons. And that's, I think, a big reason why he's, he's still available right now. So... I think Donovan McNabb has a valid point here. I don't know if you do that in the first round, but I mean, what's your realistically, realistically thinking, looking ahead, what is the Eagles quarterback situation? Your Super Bowl MVP is gone. The guy who brought you your first and only ever Super Bowl is gone. And even then, I know there was a lot of luck from the Eagles and what happened in that Bears uh, wildcard game, but Nick Foles has been winning playoff games. For the Eagles. Uh, Again, I know you get lucky sometimes, but that's just the way it works. And 
this is uh this is one of those times where look, I know Donovan McNabb, the same guy who thought who did not know that an NFL game could end in a tie. I think he has a valid point here in saying that the Eagles should draft a quarterback in this uh, in this weekend's draft. Uh, last thing I want to touch on. The number one overall pick is very interesting with the Arizona Cardinals and the direction that they could go in. And Cliff King- Kingsbury, I mean, he he let out his frustration. He let it be known that he was kind of upset with the way the media was discussing, like, they know what's going to happen with the first round or first overall pick and that he doesn't. And apparently the media knows more than him. Listen, you, you've got to understand, man, when there are certain sources that say certain things, the speculation is going to be there. It just always is. And let's not forget... Uh, by the way, I think Arizona's going to keep that top pick. I think they're going to go after Kyler Murray, but that does make it interesting. What do you do with Josh Rosen, who you picked in last year's first round? I understand new front office, new head coach, but uh, it does put you in a very sticky situation here. I remember the Vikings, I think they drafted, what, three first-round QBs in the span of six, seven years? I mean, who'd they get? Ponder, they got Teddy Bridgewater, uh, and then they acquired Sam Bradford. Um, and then they got Kirk Cousins, not a first-round pick. But, I mean, the Vikings have had a lot of first-round picks. You don't want to end up like that franchise where you're just constantly drafting first-round picks or trading for young first-round uh, players for, uh, who were selected by other teams. You, you never want that situation. But uh, hopefully they can strike big here. And I think Kyler Murray can be that guy for the Cardinals. Uh, but you got to get something from Josh Rosen. And this is a very unfortunate situation where bad coaching last year put a great player in a bad spot. And now Rosen, people don't even know what to think of him and his football future. But hopefully there's a team out there that is willing to trade for him and use him uh, in a better way than the Cardinals did last year. Let's go out of bounds. So despite a not-so-good season from KU this past year, they're about to lose a lot of players who are expected to declare for the draft. Silvio Souza, if his uh, current ban is not overturned, he said he's on his way to the NBA. They have, I believe, until late May to uh, change their, their uh, decisions here. Junior forward uh, Diedrich Lawson, uh, also declaring for the draft and freshman guard Quentin Grimes. He's also on his way to the NBA draft. Uh, listen, and look, it's not KU's fault that they didn't have a good year. I mean, a lot of issues. Azubuki's injury, Silvio's eligibility issues, and LeGerald Vick, LeGerald Vick excuse me, uh, his personal leave of absence. Just not a good year for KU. So many things took place. Uh, a lot of factors that played into KU's rough season that snapped their streak of 14 straight uh, conference wins, but let me just say something. Silvio DeSouza, I, I, look, he, he he contributed really well uh, the previous year, but this past year not playing, it, it, it doesn't put the greatest impact on... It, it's not going to help your case for the draft. Unless you have an amazing combine, amazing offseason workouts, and I just don't know what the odds of that really are. Diedrich Lawson, okay, okay, he put up some good numbers, 19.4 points per game, uh, and 10.3 rebounds per game. But Quentin Grimes, man, didn't even average 9 points per game. And two, he had 2 assists per game. Uh, but aside from that, KU's losing a lot of players here. 
And given how they did this year, I mean, what's next year going to mean? I mean, is Azabuki going to be the same? What, what happens if you lose Silvio? Is LeGerald Vick going to be able to come back? KU, I mean, if, if this past year was a rough year for KU, I don't know how I would feel about the 2019-2020 season because you may even be a little bit thinner in that area too. Uh, not exactly sure how that's going to pan out for KU the following year. By the way, uh, for you pro wrestling fans, uh, Viceland had a documentary called Dark Side of the Ring. It was a documentary about pro wrestling, touched heavily on the Montreal Screwjob. For those who don't know what that is, the Montreal Screwjob, that is the... Obviously, people know pro wrestling is fake, it's scripted. Uh, the, The winners are decided beforehand and there was a very famous wrestler named Bret Hart who was the champion and in his home country of Canada he was ready to go out he wanted to put on a good show and his opponent Shawn Michaels uh, both some of the best in the industry of pro wrestling uh, but the uh, the documentary touched on uh, the screw job basically what happened was Bret Hart's contract was about to be up and he was the champion for the WWF at the time, and he wanted to go to another promotion called WCW. He was not willing to surrender that belt, but his contract is up, and WCW was a hefty competitor, and there was a chance Bret Hart could have taken that belt to WCW, and it would have made WWF look bad. So because Bret Hart refused to lose, and... The WWF didn't trust Bret Hart to come back for one more night. Uh, The WWF screwed him over. They basically told the referee, Earl Hebner, right before the match, saying, hey, look, screw him over. As soon as he puts him in this submission move, just just tell the uh, ring holder to ring the bell, and Vince is going to grab the belt. Vince McMahon, the uh, owner of the WWE, at the time WWF, now WWE, he's going to grab the belt, and everyone's going to bolt out of there. Uh, and that guy was put in a very awkward position. Uh, it was a, it was the most controversial moment in the WWF. And that referee, I mean, he lived with a lot of fear. He was wondering if, if another wrestler would trust, trust him ever again, because he agreed to do that move. And he had uh, done an interview on Sirius XM the day after, after the documentary came out saying, look, no other referee would have done that. But I had a, he, he talked about how he has a family. He has. I believe a daughter with spe- with special needs and his brother has special needs and look man even though it's a it's a it's a wrong move you want to keep your job and that guy had a family to feed uh very very unfortunate for WWE to have put the referee in that spot not a good move uh but that's how Vince McMahon does business sometimes not great but it's uh I mean, they've Bret Hart returned to WWE, but uh, it seems like the bitterness from that incident is still there. And look, understandably so. You never want to do business that way. Final uh, topic I want to touch on here. Everyone talking about the Notre Dame uh, burning the cathedral. Obviously, a sad, horrific story that took place. And I know in this world today, where we have so much negativity and uh, this divide that takes place, and not just in the United States, I'm talking worldwide. It was kind of nice to see for a moment that people did come together for uh, the burning of this building and just how people wanted to get behind and and just try to be optimistic and positive uh, during a moment like this. I'm seeing a ton of people, especially a lot of celebrities, a lot of business owners and companies that are 
putting out millions of dollars for this cathedral. Listen, man, I get pretty disappointed when I see people want to put out lots of money, raise a GoFundMe page that ended up raising tons of money. They, they, it, they're not allowed to send the money out, but the money for the wall in the U.S., for the U.S.-Mexican border that's going on right now, whatever you want to call that. Uh, so, I, I mean, it was frustrating to see so many people be motivated to donate for that. People are donating for this cathedral. Look, the cathedral, I mean, it, it's damaged. There, there's a lot of art, historic art there. I get it. But, man, there are so many worse things out there than lost art from a, from a cathedral. And I, there was this viral uh, tweet uh, from a woman or a Facebook post or a tweet uh, who said, look, we have world hunger. We have so many terrible issues going on in our world today. Why are we donating to this? And she's right. And she also mentioned this too. And she said that as a Catholic herself, she feels that Jesus would not want money to be put towards this. And look, I'm not the most religious guy in the world. Uh, Some of you guys might be, some of you guys not. But I shared this on the page and this got a lot of positive responses here. With people saying, hey, look, it's a valid point. Why are we putting so much money to this? It's, it's, it's a building. Thankfully, no injuries took place, no serious injuries. And at the end of the day, we do have far bigger issues than a building that burned down. And I think that is something to keep in mind in a case like this. Uh, listen, people, it, it's not my money. It's your money. You can do whatever you want. But I think at the same time, you got to be mindful that there are other more serious causes that the money could go towards in our world today final segment of the show let's throw some penalty flags so recently the trailer for the new lion king movie came out and i'm excited for this it was my first disney movie as a kid i remember watching uh one of my favorite disney movies uh, as a kid and uh like I said, a lot of times when uh, people always remember their first movie as a kid, and it's always something that they keep with them forever. They they remember it very well, and The Lion King was that for me. I'm excited to see the the newer version, uh, the non animated version. Now, a lot of people are calling it a live action film, folks. Uh, first off, this is on Disney for calling it that, and a lot of people are following suit with it. This is not live action. This is CGI, unless they really found. Lions and hyenas to talk like that. Uh, this, th- there's no way in hell this is live action. There is a lot of CGI involved in this. Live action films are movies that are made without any computer, or a- any digital improvisions. And the fact that they're calling this live action is silly to me. If this is, if this is live action, I mean, th- that's like saying The Incredible Hulk is a live action film. It's not. <laughs> There's no way that The Incredible Hulk is a real movie that was live action and that it's a real person that evolved into a green monster. I mean, there's just no way. Uh, It's not a live action film. Just letting you guys know that now. I'm excited for the movie. Don't get me wrong, but it's not live action. There's a big difference there. This was a very frustrating story to read. So three kids from Pretty Prairie, Kansas, which is roughly 15, 20 miles west of Wichita. They destroyed a band room. An 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old vandalized a band room. And damages are estimated up to, and they're not certain on the estimation, but 
they're guessing it's around $75,000. The pictures on this are horrible. I mean, there are, I mean, there's paint all over. Uh, Musical instruments are on the ground, broken, uh, unable to use. I mean, these are very expensive instruments and all the equipment, the cases, the, uh, all all these uh, props that they have there. Uh, so much of that is destroyed. These kids got in in between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m. This leads me to a couple of questions. Number one, why are parents letting their 11-year-old, 10-year-old, and 8-year-old, and I don't think they're siblings from what I had read, uh, why are they not home during those hours? That's a that's very concerning that kids that young are out and vandalizing a, a band room at school. Uh, the other thing is, I mentioned the school. W- what's the school's security like? I mean, the fact that three kids were able to get inside uh, the school overnight—that is—that's pretty concerning. And I don't know why that is the case. Uh, I'm not saying that's a valid re- that, that 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 it's that the school's at fault for that. I think they need to revisit that and see how did this happen, but. Uh, the, the heavy blame goes on the parents here, man. Uh, and these kids, I mean, they definitely need to be disciplined. In fact, I really hope they made these kids go clean up that mess. They may have thought, oh, hey, we're having a fun time, jolly old time, yeah, we're making a mess. But, uh, I mean, if that's their version of fun, I don't know what their parents taught them growing up. Uh, but I really hope that they taught these kids a lesson by making them clean up a lot of the mess. Because, boy, uh... That would be a big lesson learned for these kids. The damage they did and knowing how much money it's going to cost the school. Uh, I think that would have been a big lesson to make those kids clean up at least some of that mess in the band room. All right, I'm going to have fun with this one. Uh, two flags for one here. Uh, so Kevin Keatsman of Sports Radio 810 wrote a really controversial tweet uh, and he wanted to comment on Sylvia DeSouza, uh, the fact that KU is trying to get this overturned with Silvio's uh, current uh, suspension, his band, whatever you want to call it, currently ineligible to play. And DeSouza said he is going to declare for the draft if this does not get overturned. Keesman wrote, hate all you want. I am so sick of everyone playing victim and saying that their grievance is somebody else's fault. Sick of it. Worst case. DeSouza comes from Africa and makes money playing basketball. What a victim. I don't even know, like, does Keatsman think before he says something? I mean, look, I know I can say some crazy... I I know I have some crazy opinions from time to time, but there's a difference between crazy opinions and hot takes and then this. This is... I mean, this is just stupid. I know Skip Bayless and Stephen A and... Colin Cowherd, they have their crazy opinions, but there's a line you just don't cross, and this is one of them with Keatsman. Uh, by the way, the next morning, I guess Keatsman was oblivious to, to the, all the criticism. The next morning, he complains about the criticism, especially from Sam Mellinger of the Star. He definitely roasted Keatsman for this, and Keatsman, I guess, was angry at Mellinger for that. Uh, he and then after responding to Mellinger. And all the criticism and trying to play this victim like he was framed as a bad guy. He wrote on a good note uh, that he and his wife watched Green Book uh, uh, last night after he wrote that nice racist tweet. uh, Which is great because he's talking about a movie uh, which is racially themed. 
uh, to fix his scorching hot take on racial implications. Look, I don't know what Kevin Keatsman's self-awareness is in life. I really don't. I know he's been criticized for a lot of the funny story. I actually met someone who used to work at a 10 and we share. So I was an intern at a 10 in 2009 and this person worked there in 2012 in the sales department. And we shared a lot of stories about what we had seen. And we both saw a lot of arguments. I don't know why, man. A10 and 610, their work environments are very, very, very different. And for people who are saying, oh, you're re- revealing too much here. I've heard A10 hosts mention this on the air. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know what kind of work environment goes on there. I was just an intern. But uh, there is a thing for shouting matches at that at that station. Uh, I just don't know why, but uh, Keatsman brags a lot about his golf skills. The guy who I'm talking about who worked at A10 sales department, he said he's golfed with Keatsman many times for work purposes, and Keatsman's a terrible golfer. He just is. Uh, I know Keatsman's been criticized for a lot of opinions similar to this. I know there was a big incident in his personal life, which is not my place to speak, which people bring up a lot with Keatsman. Uh, Listen, man. Uh, this is, uh, one of those cases where you say De Souza comes from Africa. That's not what this is about. That's not the story here. Uh, so I shared that on social media. A lot of you guys responded to this. So I got offended because someone by the name of, and we've had comments like this before. I remember we had this with the Laura Ingram story in response to LeBron James. Someone accused me of something I never even said. Uh, surprise, surprise. It happened again. Pam Pratt Farrow, Firo, whatever, she wrote, Hey Farzine, your DeSouza tweet shows your KSU little brother syndrome in all its glory. Uh, in addition, quote, came from Africa and made money off basketball. Where did you, I'm quoting her by the way, where did you come here from and make money off of BS? Research before you stick your foot in your own ass. Uh, I responded to her and I told her, look, be careful on social media. I did. You might want to, check the tweet and see who wrote it she quickly deleted things but you know what you cannot delete screenshots i posted that and you guys had fun with that on social media which was great Uh, but man i took offense to this not only did she accuse me of being a kansas state fan she confused me for kevin keatsman i am i'm pretty offended by this Look, I get aff- I, I really get offended when people say you're an idiot to me and use the wrong you're because you're basically you're basically saying that I'm an idiot and that you think you know better when you don't even have the proper grammar to call me an idiot. So I take heavily offense to that, and I didn't think there it was possible to be more offended than that until now. To confu- to I mean to call me a K State fan that's pretty offensive, but to confuse me for Keatsman, that is really offensive, man. Uh, and Keatsman to write a dumb comment like that. I mean, that's just, that's nonsense. So, it, it, listen, people in the media need to have better knowledge of these kinds of things. And I try to be very cautious of criticizing media, especially the local media. Like I said, I interned at A10. I've, I've, I've in, I interned for Keatsman. Uh, but man, he does say a lot. Of, I'll give Keatsman credit, man. He did a lot to build the business at Union Broadcasting. But as far as his on-air skills and the criticism he has... Yeah, I remember he made fun of Tony Gonzalez once for reading a book. I mean, really? That you take issue with that? Um, boy, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, he's he's the head honcho over there at A10, so it's not like he has anyone to report to. I mean, he makes his own decisions there. He's a sports director, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, must be nice to be in Keatsman's shoes. Uh, 
By the way, uh, and as for this commenter, Pam Pratt Farrow, uh, this is just the danger of social media. People who, by the way, she got upset at me and said that I was threatening her because I said be careful and read carefully with these things. And then she wrote F you to me and uh, she, she basically took it personal that I proved her that she was wrong. And you know, this isn't the first time for someone to have done something like that to get upset at me for something I didn't do and I proved that they were wrong and they blocked me for it. People ask me, by the way, why do you block people on social media? This is why. Because of morons like that. Listen, I'll say this. I think social media can be a great place. We've seen... Like, remember the uh, incident with Dave? Um, I know the story did take a turn a little bit when his past came up, but... The fact that, you know, Jeff Allen was looking for him and social media helped find him and the, the, the his backstory and how supportive people were about him and they wanted to help him. I think social media can be great. That's one of many examples where social media, the great things have happened. But then there is this side of social media where it's a big cesspool because of people like Pam Pratt Farrow uh, who come and make comments like, you know what, let's assume that. I did make that comment. Or, or let's assume she knew who made that comment and it was Keatsman and she wrote that comment to Keatsman. I mean, do you really feel better about yourself when you make a comment like that? And I guarantee you, Pam Pratt Farrow doesn't make that comment face-to-face with Keatsman or anybody that she wants to criticize. Because that's what that's what Twitter is. That's what Facebook is. It's a cesspool where people are keyboard warriors. They say a bunch of things. And I get a kick out of these kinds of things. I laugh at them and then I block them. And again, people say, why do you block people? That's why, folks. That is why. Right there. Appreciate you guys listening to this episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. Uh, appreciate all the guests who came on the podcast over the past month and a half. A lot of fun doing all this draft coverage leading up to the draft. This is the last episode. We will do an episode Friday morning. We'll recap Kansas City's first round. Whether they draft it or not, we will do an episode So stay tuned for that. We will touch on that on Friday. And then Sunday, we will recap Kansas City's entire draft as well as the NFL draft. Uh, All the highlights from the NFL draft, we'll talk about that on Sunday's episode. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugan. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Subscribe to the podcast. We're out there on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Hit the subscribe button and the share button as well. Once again, I'm Farzine Vasugan. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. Have a good week. I will talk to you on Friday. Take care.